Welcome to the In Pursuit of Luxury podcast. Today, I'm delighted to be speaking with Ted Bradley. Ted is a lighting designer and he's located in Boulder, Colorado. He's not your traditional designer as he started or rather ended a career at Google as a product manager to focus on lighting design. Having been told that it would be very difficult or near impossible to design the porcelain lighting sculptures he envisioned, he took it upon himself to prove everyone wrong. 12 months later, hundreds of hours later, and as many failures, Ted launched his business in February 2021, and it has flourished ever since. Ted says that in his sculptures, he aims to capture a moment of beauty in the natural world and bring it to life with handmade artistry that imbues it with meaning. Of that pursuit, he says, that's a calling worth pursuing for a lifetime. Ted, welcome to the In Pursuit of Luxury podcast. Thank you so much. I'm very glad to be here. So as I always do, I always start by asking our guests to tell us a bit about themselves. So tell us about you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I design and build light fixtures, more specifically light sculptures. And these are made of porcelain and LEDs. I think there's a couple of different parts about what I do. There's an engineering component, a design component, and then a ceramics component. And each of these are required and necessary in creating these light sculptures. And more specifically, I, I build light sculptures um, with rings, um, light rings that have been made out of porcelain. So how did this all come about? I think that it was something that built over many years. And, um, you know, if you look at it, it just the last couple of years, it's like, oh, I had this career in software and then I made this big transition over to become a light sculptor. Um, but I think really the story starts even earlier. Um, the very first thing I was ever passionate about, uh, you know, I learned when I was a, a freshman in high school or, or very young around maybe 14, that ceramics was just this thing that I loved. And, and I loved engineering as well. But, um, you know, after after school, after university, I found myself in this career in software. And, um, you know, it built, built, built. And you kind of like forget about what your original passions are and what your original things that you really care about are until... 10 years have gone by and I'm like, hey, wait, is this really what I want to be doing? Um, and after many years of ref reflection, the answer is, is no. I mean, wouldn't it be a dream if I could go back to these original things that I cared about so much, which is working with my hands and uh, mechanical engineering and, and ceramics? That's quite a shift in career, isn't it? What's the most yeah. exciting thing then about what you're doing? Yeah, I think that for me... The most exciting part is taking a vision to reality and having the freedom to do it in a style that is pursuing engineering and design and craftsmanship perfection. Um, I think there's a lot of pressures to do things quickly and efficiently, but by choosing to produce for the luxury market, it gives me the freedom to pursue perfection and quality at a level that uh, I, I otherwise wouldn't be able to do. So I, I really enjoy I really enjoy the whole process going from original vision to to seeing it through to a, a sculpture hanging in someone's home. Uh, it's just a very rewarding process. So why lighting? It actually goes all the way back to back to this story. So when I was at Google, um, you know, the career is very engaging and interesting. There's an opportunity to build products for billions of people, which um, is very fun and exciting. You work with a lot of smart people. Um, but I actually I had this um, I had this vision of a sculpture in my head and 
it's almost like the, as the years went by, some of my, I feel like some of my creativity and some of my passion was sort of being replaced by just pragmatism and, uh, you know, career building and uh, going through the motions, becoming an expert in, in software. Um, but I had this recurring vision of this one very specific sculpture and it had porcelain rings all lined up in a row and they were affixed to a uh, a metal spine, almost like the arching ribs of a whale skeleton bleached in the sun. And this specific design was just not only recurring, but, you know, I'd wake up in the middle of the night, I'd have visions of this design and it wasn't multiple designs. It was just one over years. And it was something much, much more personal to me. There's just so many very personal pieces, I think, of what things that were in my heart and mind during that time that were being expressed through this vision. And, and light was an important part of that. So I know you're in Boulder, Colorado. I am. That's right. So has your environment influenced the way you work, firstly? And secondly, does biomimicry play any part in the way you work? I think there, yeah, definitely. So I think the environment plays a role in uh, in the following way. In in the Bay, in San Francisco, um, it's a software work culture. And when people say, if you meet someone casually and they say, hey, Ted, what do you do? The answer that they're expecting you to tell them about is what you do for work. In Boulder, Colorado, if someone's like, hey, Ted, so, you know, what do you do? What are you into? Uh, the answer is expected to be something regarding lifestyle, passion, things that you're pursuing. And so Boulder, um, more less, you know, it, it is a natural, it's a beautiful, natural environment. That's why I, I wanted to be here. But it's also about the culture that celebrates folks pursuing things that they care about and they're passionate about beyond just, you know, a single focused, like a financially lucrative career. And then to answer the second part of your question, you know, I think uh, I'd say, you know, yes, asterisk, biomimicry. I think my goal is not necessarily to learn from nature and reproduce it in man-made materials. I think it's more just that I'm inspired by nature. And for me personally, if I look at a single flower and you really look at it and you dive deep into it and you see all the contrasts of color and texture and um, how it how alive it is and the the precision uh, and the beauty and the delicacy of all the intricate components. I believe that a single flower is more beautiful than any sculpture or man-made piece of art that anyone has ever made in the history of the world. I'm inspired by nature and I, I want to, you know, give a nod to themes of nature while also being humbled and recognize that you know, I can put something beautiful in someone's home. How involved are you in the production then of the products that you make? I'd say very, very involved. I mean, the first uh, year was me in the studio by myself. Um, I originally thought it was going to take two months to build my first sculpture. It took uh, 12 months. Um, I thought I'd, you know, be working 34 hours, 40 hours a week. I was working up to 100 hours a week. Um, and uh, because of the challenges and complexities, this was a hundred percent hands-on. And now, you know, I am fortunate enough to have a small team. We have a team of, um, of four now. Um, and, uh, you know, the, 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 the artists and the craftsmen of my team are, are becoming increasingly, um, you know, learning and, and capable with the processes, which is incredibly fun. But, 
you know, as soon as we are off this podcast, I will be headed into the studio to work on our, our delivery for tomorrow. So I'd say very involved. <laughs> You're 100% involved in the process. I'm just interested to know, do you draw? I do. Yeah. Yeah. I sketch uh, ideas all the time. The greatest uh, luxury of this work is uh, is to is to have the freedom to to sketch ideas and and let your mind be you know completely open to uh, being inspired by you know a space that you're designing for or something that's like literally coming from within you or, or inspired by nature. So absolutely, I, I did sketch, but I the way I sketch is not in like an artistic or a, a way that's meant to be beautiful for someone to look at it's more with an impatience to capture the concept in my mind as quickly and accurately as possible to in order to continue on this this like spawning of ideas that are just like coming out that i want to i want i want to record for for later that's probably the best way to draw though i mean that's where the beauty of the sketch comes in it's from just being fluid with a pencil isn't it and just capturing a moment in time or an idea definitely do you think of yourself as an innovator? I think so. I think that there are innovations in design and innovations in materials and craftsmanship. Um, and that's actually one of the, the things that's most exciting about this job for me is the opportunity to innovate and create. I first want to give a nod to the fact that, you know, all innovation is derivative in some way. My, you know, with humility, I understand that if I create something, it's going to be, um, you know, it's gonna, I'm going to be standing on the shoulder of giants is the term, that there's so much that's come before and there are so many concepts and ideas out there. And I, um, I will be proud to have, you know, brought that forward, that, that greater collective movement forward a few inches, whereas maybe it's already gone a mile over the years. And so as an example, you know, I'm not the first person to use light rings, but the configurations that I'm creating, you know, are are all unique um, in, in the design. And there's so many ways to paint three-dimensional space with light rings that I think is really innovative and, and very fun and, uh, and a problem that I continue to be inspired by on a daily basis. And then there's the innovation and craftsmanship. You know, I'm not the first person to e- embed LEDs in a ring covered by a light diffusing lens with the light shining on the on an outer surface. Um, but I am the first person for better or for worse to have done it in porcelain. I could have done it in plaster and it would have taken a couple of weeks. You would have created a mold, pour it in, pop it out and you'd be done. Or I could have created it in, uh, in metal and just sent a CAD design to a machine shop and have it come back five weeks later with exacting precision or, uh, there's a myriad of different ways to have done this, but I chose porcelain because it was an area of passion, and um, it, it turned out to be one of you know the most complex and challenging undertakings that I, I've ever had in my life. Um, ceramics in general, the idea of going from wet mud to a precision component that uh, has to make it through all these stages and end up uh, having a precision with a few hundredths of an inch to, to marry with LEDs and metal components and light diffusing lenses without gaps or variants is an, inc- it was, I was 
Uh, candidly, I was very naive in how just how difficult this was going to be. So if you think about innovation and you've spoken, you've mentioned luxury a couple of times. Yeah. Is there a connection, do you believe, between luxury and innovation? Yeah, I think so. I think that um, I think that a foundation of luxury is quality. Um, quality for me, the foundation is quality and precision. But there's also an element of the 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 um, like a limited supply or something that's unique and fresh. And um, I think you have to have all three of those to to have something that that is desirable in a luxury realm. Because you, you've spoken a lot about the development and the time it's taken to develop. So why porcelain and what were the kind of specific challenges? Ceramics, again, is going from wet mud to a precision component. Porcelain is the whitest, brightest white of all ceramics, and I wanted that. But it's also known for being the most difficult to work with of all the different types of clay bodies. And then of all the different porcelains, I tested 14, um, I found the brightest white one. And that porcelain is barely even sold anymore because it's so difficult to work with. Um, as much as porcelain shrinks and cracks, this alt, you know, ultimate bright white porcelain that I chose is if you just look at it the wrong way, it'll crack. Um, and so, you know, my process probably would have been cut down by two thirds time had I chosen a different, a different clay body, a different porcelain. But the challenge with, with porcelain and clay in general is that, well, first, first the ring shape. So when I first got started, I talked, I called a couple of, uh, ceramics mold making experts and a clay chemist. And I said, Hey, this is what I'm trying to do. And they said, okay, but just so you know, this is going to be either difficult or impossible. Um, the ring going, getting a geometrically perfect ring out of ceramics is going to be incredibly difficult. And then to make it even more difficult, um, having this channel cut out of the inside of the ring where the light, the LEDs can be embedded presents all sorts of problems right away. You can't use slip casting, which is the most typical production method for, for production ceramics. So that's out right away. I actually did experiment with, with slip casting, but it's very challenging. Um, and then I, I ended up spending about nine months developing, I developed seven different mold systems for a RAM, a RAM, it's called a RAM pack process where you actually pack, I would pack clay into the negative cavity of a mold that will that is in the shape of a ring i'd hand pack it with clay and then i uh, on the inside i had a uh, a telescoping arm with razor blades welded to the end of it that would spin around and cut the channel out with just perfect precision and then uh in order to have the mold halves release i had wound cotton tubing inside of the plaster mold and then i would uh i would uh push compressed air into that cotton tubing using a microporous plaster that would then push the the thin a little bit of water out of the plaster and eventually it would get to the surface where the plaster mates with the clay and it would eject the piece out otherwise the clay would stick to the plaster and then inside this mold there was a whole steel armature to prevent it from breaking because of the 110 psi of the compressed air I built seven different mold systems using this process in the end they were so heavy 
we had to build a quarter ton gantry crane overhead to lift the components. And then after nine months, I took that and I threw it all in the trash because it was so complicated and it was so difficult that even I, after doing it for nine months, if I missed a single step, I had an 11-page document of single-space steps. So if I missed a single step, the whole ring would be ruined. I said, this is just not tenable. So that was the start of, of the journey. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's amazing, isn't it? I mean, I'm smiling because I'm just, again, imagining viewing this white coat in a laboratory, trying to figure out how you're going to get this thing made. Totally. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's a, an amazing story. How do you think what you do fits in the world of of luxury? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, I think that I, I want to push the envelope of what folks are doing in, in, in lighting. Um, I don't call these light fixtures. I call them light sculptures. Um, and I think that there is a, a entire market of folks who want something that is not only innovative from a design standpoint and that is made with just exacting precision, but that's also uses handmade craftsmanship and you know is 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 put together by by real artists and craftsmen in very low volume on an individual basis. And then lastly, that has a story. Um, you know, that that this piece that's over their dining table or, um, you know, bringing um, a, a quiet beauty to their space that um, that it's made by someone who cares and, who, and who's impassioned by this space. So I think it's really those four things is I think I said, um, you know, design innovation um, and pushing the envelope there, the, the craftsmanship. Um, you know, the made, the made by hand and low volume, um, and then also the, the story and all these things together. Um, I, I think that, I think that that's, uh, that's pushing, pushing the envelope for, for, um, for luxury. Interestingly, you call your, your lighting, you call it, you call it, a, you call it sculpture. Yeah, absolutely. So why? It's a sculpture because a fixture, a fixture, uh, a fixture communicates the function a sculpture communicates the artistry, and my pieces are both. Okay, that's a brilliant answer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so where is the connection between sculpture, which communicates the artistry, and luxury? Okay, the connection between the sculpture and luxury. I mean, you know, you, there's a lot of different ways to, to look at this, right? There's there's the way to look at, at this from a, a, a market standpoint, an industrial standpoint, a personal standpoint. Why don't we just look at the the end? You know, in software they would say the end user, and they say focus on the end user. All else will fall. So let's look at the person who is shopping for a beautiful, you know, interested in in uh, in bringing a beautiful piece to their their dining table. And they they uh, you know, in the end, it's about a story, right? It's about it's about social connection, and so that's what we're we're primarily uh, motivated by. And so if, you know, someone wants. I imagine the following story. They have spent 18 months dreaming about working with architects, designers, um, and general contractors. And it's all, it's all building up toward the moment when they have their friends or family over for dinner the first time. And they walk in the entryway 
or they walk, you know, to sit around the dining table. And it's the moment that that person envisions of them saying, wow, right? This is beautiful. And that's what all of the work, the time, the money, the, the all the investment goes toward. And that, and the person wanting uh, that moment, they're wanting to create an experience that wow, an important part of that wow is luxury. It's, it's the something that other people don't have. And that is clearly, you know, desirable, beautiful quality, and frankly, expensive. Um, I think that these are all these are all components that that are going to create, create that that luxury wow moment. Buy most of it except for the expensive. <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally. I mean, push back on me. We're we're out we're out in exploratory territory here. That's why I find you know all the conversations I have are so interesting. Yeah, because everybody has an opinion about luxury. You know, me included. Yeah. So it's interesting sure. to have these conversations because luxury and expense don't necessarily go together. I, I think for different people, right? My my own personal characterization of luxury is very different than I'm going to make a, a jump here different from my clients. You know, I enjoy a luxury of ex, a luxurious experience different than a lot of my clients. And that that but I but the what I want to build the things I want to build that fits the market of the person who defines luxury in this way that I described. Absolutely. And I absolutely get that because what you were saying earlier about your surroundings, the flowers, the beauty in flowers and things, yeah. there's of course going to be a slight mismatch in the, you know, the client's aspirations to show something that is um, you know, undeniably amazing. Mm -hmm. I also wonder whether the clients then appreciate the craftsmanship, the work, the materials, the knowledge. I can tell you hands down from every person I've worked with, and I like to actually go to these installs myself whenever possible and work with the clients. I can tell you these clients are, they could be sitting here having the same conversation as you and I are. And they absolutely appreciate the story, the craftsmanship, the perfection, the design. Um, and yeah, the whole, it's the whole, it's the whole package for them. Um, yeah. And that's amazing. I mean, that is amazing. Because that's not always the case. Yeah, for sure. You know, that is is definitely not always the case. You know, some people don't even engage with the product. You know, they get an interior designer in and they say, okay, the house is 50,000 square feet. Yeah. Go and sort it out and I'll kind of arrive with my luggage and move in. And they don't appreciate anything that happens to make that thing happen. Yeah, you know, to be really candid, I think that... Uh, when you know if i'm if i'm fortunate enough to be doing this 10 years from now with a much you know more established brand and larger distribution and manufacturing um, capabilities i think that's the type of client that will be attracted to my work but right now as an artist and being brand new and um you know still proving myself in this world of luxury um i think that the type of clientele that's attracted to my work is the client who cares about these things. I think it's a self-selecting process, which is actually a wonderful thing for me because it's the best type of client I like to work with. <laughs> you know, in the end of the day, you know, I'm I'm creating products for other people, but I'm also creating a lifestyle and a purpose and a meaning in my own life. And so what do I find meaning and joy in? And it's really, it is this process. Of course, I'd like to do more of it for more people at a larger scale, but um, 
you know, but no, I don't want to lose touch with all that. What are the tolerances in the um, in the porcelain? Yeah, so the uh, the ring, uh, we have a couple different sizes of rings. The one that we uh, that we end up putting in sculptures the most is about um, eighteen inches, um, and uh, the it's about two inches tall. I wish I could do the the metric conversions on the fly for you. Um, well, let's let's say this. Um, you know the back wall between the outer edge of the um, the outer edge of the ring and where the LEDs sit on that inside of the channel is maybe uh, three coins stacked together. It's very thin, um, and then um, you know where the light diffusing lens uh, mates with the uh, the porcelain. We want to get a, a a perfectly consistent. Very, a very tight fit so you don't see any gaps. And so that might be, um, you know, well, the maximum tolerance we would allow might be a piece of paper folded five times. Um, so that's the sort of macro dimensions and then the tolerances and precision with which we're working with. When we started the conversation, uh, you were talking about, um, again, I'm going back to flowers and nature and things like that. How yeah. important is the environment kind of in, in the way in which you work or how it influences the way in which you work. Yeah. I mean, I think it's very important. Um, you know, a, again, this is about creating a lifestyle of quality for myself um, and doing the right thing for, for the environment and nature and bringing all those things together. So, you know, I can speak just very briefly to that. Um, Looking at the impact, the first thing we are doing to reduce the impact is creating something uh, that will last, you know, that will last for a long time. It doesn't have to be, won't be thrown away um, after a few years with the changing trends. And um, that doesn't need to be, you know, thrown away because it's died or reached its end of life. So designing things that will last and that will, that people will want to keep is, is, is really uh, probably the first thing. It's like when folks look at like electric vehicles or efficient vehicles. Like actually, in some cases, the most efficient thing you can do for the environment is just to keep your old car because there's so much energy and materials that go into a new car, for example. So keeping things around is important, designing for quality and longevity, and then also repair, you know, designing things in a way where it can be readily repaired if something did happen, if a, if somebody bumped into a ring um, or smacked it with a broom and it cracked. There's like, there's efficiency of energy um, LEDs over incandescence, for example. And then there are the actual materials. So, um, and then there's the energy used in, in production. So we offset 100% of the energy um, in our in our kilns, for example, which use a lot of electricity. We offset that um, with renewable uh, energy credits. Um, you know, someday we'd love to have solar panels on our, our studio if that becomes feasible. Um, and then packaging as well. You would not believe how much material goes into packaging these things and, and furniture in general. So right away we made a you know commitment. Let's and it was, it was actually fun and challenging. Um, uh, you know, endeavor to to remove plastic from the packaging and have everything be you know um, recyclable and recycled. So um, we are using instead of bubble wrap, we use a, a perforated corrugated cardboard um, that has that's been like actually uh, crushed and softened that we wrap around things. And we don't use plastic wrapping. We use uh, you know compostable tissue paper. We don't use plastic. Tape we use, uh, we use paper uh, masking tape 
Um, and, and we don't use, um, you know, just recently we've used a little bit of foam. I'm embarrassed to say it's sometimes hard to replace, but as much as possible, we're using stacks of recycled and recyclable cardboard in place of foam. Um, so it's, it's an ongoing, it's an ongoing uh, process to get it, to get it right and be it, to have it be as minimal impact as possible. My understanding is that there's much more of a culture of that in, in Europe than there is in the United States. I'll just add, I think people care and people are wanting to do better and people are doing better. Uh, but it's a, it's a journey, right? And it's one, it takes, it takes the demand and the interest from the consumer and it takes the, uh, the, the observation and the change from the manufacturer. I think these things are all, you know, happening slowly, um, over time. Yeah. And I think absolutely right. And then people like you come along. Uh, who do things that have value, and that value is longevity. Aside from the craftsmanship, the you know the kind of engineering skill, the manufacturing skills, the materials, all of that, the longevity becomes really important in terms of making sure that we move away from this throwaway society. So I was just wondering about the materials. Is it brass that you use on the fixtures? Yeah, we use um, some brass um, and then the porcelain and then the LEDs. So why specifically brass with porcelain? The white of porcelain is, um, so if it was stark white, like a painted white um, or a plastic white, it might be um, very cold. But we have we have like an, let's say like, say like an eggshell white. Um, and so, but, but nonetheless, it, it has a warmth to it, but nonetheless, it is white. And so, um, if you want to, if you want to, then you want to warm it up with a brass. I mean, we provide, we provide six finishes. We provide like a statin stainless, which is sort of like a nickel. It's like a shiny, uh, shiny, uh, metal look. And then we provide like a charcoal, which is this really beautiful gray that has like a little bit of the metal reflectivity. Then we provide like a jet black. And then on the brass side, we provide like a satin brass, which is what you imagine when you think about brass. And then there's like an antique or aged brass, which is a little bit darker. And, and then there's like a, a darkened brass, which is almost like a chocolate. And so, um, you know, each of these have a, an application. It's essentially giving, we have to give the opportunity to the designer to paint with the colors of our materials and my personal, um, you know, I can't say I, I do. I really love the contrast of a darker color against the white. And I also, I really love the warmth, um, of the brass tones against the porcelain, but I've seen really, really beautiful pieces made with the stainless, uh, you know, s silver charcoal black as well. So, and so why did you choose brass? Yeah, I, um, you know, again, we use the brass and the stainless, and it was really just uh, the base material to allow us to create the color palette with patinas of the different metals that that we know folks are are, are demanding. Okay. And do you cast the brass yourself, or are you, are you outsourcing the casting? Yes. Yeah, so we, uh, I design it in CAD, and then uh, we have it uh, precision machined via CNC which is computer numerically controlled milling. Um, and we have all of our parts CNC, even the part we have, for example, I, we have this part that's about, you know, um, try my metrics here, maybe uh, a quarter of a meter uh, long, and it's like a plate and it gets bent around uh, and attached to the ring. And that would be best pressed uh, or uh, roll bent. Uh, but we actually have it, uh, have it CNC'd, uh, which is much more time consuming and expensive, but we end up getting 
perfect precision, which is just so fun to see how it marries with the ring without gap and all that sort of thing. So that leads perfectly onto technology. I was just okay. <laughs> you you came from Google, yeah. How bigger part does tech play in in your work? I mean, do you sample with three D printing? Do you do you yeah. use a lot of CAD? Yeah, absolutely. I think that it's I think it's critical. I think that there I never would have been able to create these with the design and the quality and the precision that I want to without technology, and so. You know, everything from being able to create, um, you know, unexpected curved surfaces in CAD, which is at times quite complicated to do. And, you know, you need a really robust CAD system to having those be able to be created with absolute precision out of metal via computer numerically controlled milling. Um, and then, yeah, we did originally 3D print parts um, in order to, to create mold systems. Um, and then... Um, you know, even the LEDs, like it's still a new frontier. There's a lot of strip tape being used, LEDs being used in, um, you know, recessed ceilings or under cabinet lighting or commercial spaces, but integrating them into actual fixtures in a style that's not just a bulb um, is actually still a very new space. Um, and getting that all to work with, uh, you know, there's this whole world of light quality um, and the way that a halogen light looks on someone's face or space versus uh, an LED light and getting really high quality light. There's this this whole world of light temperature, whether it's a blue, a bluish bright light that you might see outside or like a very warm light that all the way down to like a candle light. Um, these are all things that you have to navigate. Uh, I'll just say the one last part and then managing the conversion of voltages to the LEDs and and those transformers and fitting them into the sculpture in a way that doesn't look bulk, bulky um, or doesn't put undue burden on the electrical contractors. And then lastly, I'm dealing with this right now is heat dissipation. These transformers just shed all this heat. Maybe I'm going into way too much detail, but essentially there is a lot of technology and a lot of innovation that has to happen and a lot of engineering to make to make these all uh, to all, all work. How does luxury and technology then fit together? Because typically, you know, you think about craftsmanship and the handmade, but, you know, technologies emerge and they're emergent and they continue to kind of challenge the way we think. I was just wondering how you reconcile the luxury and the technology. Yeah. Well, what if we go back to our base foundation that we, our base definition of luxury that we kind of like crafted, or maybe I crafted with uh, earlier on, let's say that it was, you know, this combination of, um, you know, quality and craftsmanship, uh, beauty, and then something that is new and fresh, and maybe that people, other people, a lot of people don't have, right? Let's say that the, let's say that that's, this is our foundation of quality. Technology absolutely plays a part in that. Um you know, there's there's the handmade aspect in the craftsmanship, and we want to bring that in. That's part of the story, and that's part of the, the humanity and the human touch of the piece. But creating something that the world has never seen before is we can push that envelope with technology. I mean, there's been incredible craftsmen around for thousands of years. We can use technology in, a, in alignment with craftsmanship to bring something brand new. And I think that's what we're doing. If you took, if you want to get a perfect piece of metal and you had someone sit there and just chink away at it with a piece of sandpaper for, you know, 60 days, 
are you really creating something, you know, luxurious or novel? Maybe. Um, but what if we create something that machines can't create? Um, like the porcelain ring, you know, a, a, a robot or a scene. We don't have people say all the time, oh, you should 3D print these rings. It wouldn't work. I I know I can tell you 10 reasons why it wouldn't work. So what if we what if we marry the two and use technology where it's appropriate to push the envelope and then use craftsmanship where, where to push the envelope in the other areas that technology can't? So what is I mean, when you think I mean, do you think about um, luxury? I mean, I know you speak about your work as luxury, but I mean, do you think about luxury or doesn't it does it not feature in your in your daily life? I think that I. I think I, I think about the, the subcomponents of luxury. I think I think about that experience that we talked about of the customer uh, with you know showing their home and their light sculpture at the dining table or the kitchen island or the entryway to their guests on the first arrival. I think about that, and I think about you know all the components. I, I don't personally think about the word luxury, but I think that the definition we've created essentially means that I think about luxury every day, all day, in the sense of, of all these different characteristics. <laughs> Do you think luxury is a product or an experience? Hmm. I think it's an experience. I think it's an experience. I think that it's a, I think that, I, I think that everything comes down to experience and the product is just the vehicle to that experience. Do you think, I'm sorry, if I'm putting you on the spot. No, just no, <laughs> no, this is interesting. This is a really interesting conversation. <laughs> an issue I always have is about luxury and brand. And mm. how branding has been tacked on to luxury. Mm -hmm. So if I think about these conglomerates that own all the luxury brands, and I wonder whether the narrative then is more important than the experience. Well, I think that the brand. I think that a brand, the term brand, is an encapsulation for the way that the product is communicated and recognized and known. And I think that the experience that somebody has uh, is absolutely, you know, the brand is, is important to that um, because it's, it's, the way, it's the way that a brand is something that's recognized by many, right? And so it's an immediate stamp of approval or not by many people and so it immediately communicates to the other people however there's a different vision a bit different way to look at brand right there's also the marketing the communication the packaging around a product that may or may not where you they're 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 driving into you that this is an, a product of quality but maybe it isn't and really what you're buying is more the perception than the actual product uh quality I think you need both in the end. I think that there are incredible products out there that have very little brand. And I think that we might fall in that area. Very few people know that we exist, but I'm really proud of what we created. And I think that it is high quality. And then there's products that maybe have a very strong brand, but we've just watched the quality degrade over the years. Um, but I, I still believe, you know, I still believe you need both in order to create an experience. Okay. Okay, that's interesting. You disagree. Tell me, tell me. I maybe all your listeners already know exactly how you disagree with that. Well, no, I just, I just, I have a problem with the whole thing of branding luxury. Yeah, I just think luxury is not. You, you just can't brand luxury because I, I mm. and it's only because of the way the term brand is now used. Yeah, you know, I think yeah. absolutely you're right that you need. You know, I think you know there's some connection, but today 
in this global consumer society in which we live, the brand has become much more about the narrative, yeah. less about the experience, and even less about the product. And I think yeah. that undermines the quality of luxury. Yeah, I absolutely see what you're saying, and uh, and agree that especially on on the larger scale and the corporate level, that that is a trend that we're for sure seeing. Yeah, we need to move away. We need to value, you know, guys like you that mm. spend twelve months um, refining something, trying to drill something um, out with a razor blade, etc. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or a group of razor blades. So, how do you communicate your craft and the value of your craft? to your customer? Well, I think that it is best captured in photo and story. I think that the two content types, you know, are we can tell the story with videos and text and photos. Um, but, you know, I think that in the end, I think that people want to see photos and video of the final um, sculpture that they might, you know, end up having in their homes or their space, but they they also they want to see the making and the story and the background. Um, and there's a whole other discipline in in having and and learning how to how to how to share that and and, um, and tell people about that experience. Since you know, to the point that we've had in this conversation, I think it's it's equally important. Right. On that note, um, I'm going to end as I always do, and ask you what uh, what is your luxury. Ah, my luxury. Um, I I didn't prepare an answer to this question, but I'll I'll share the first thing that popped in my head, and we'll see how articulate it is it is. But I think that for me, I would almost bring together luxury with quality, and not quality and luxury of product, but quality and luxury of the life I want to live. And for me, I think luxury. Luxury is the opportunity to pursue something meaningful and passionate in my life and try to bring something new to the world um, that's very unique to, to, to my experience and, and this, the specific skill sets or collection that I might have. And I think it's a luxury. I think it's I think it's an opportunity and a luxury experience to be able to to work on these things in the time that I have with my life and and uh, and, and try to 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 bring them to the world. Great, Ted Bradley. Thank you so much for joining us on the In Pursuit of Luxury podcast. Thank you, Sean. It was a real pleasure. Thank you, Ted. Thank you to our partners, Intellect Books. Thank you for listening. And don't forget, you can catch up on all previous episodes of the In Pursuit of Luxury podcast on your favorite listening channel. Join us next time on the In Pursuit of Luxury podcast.